Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. To our new listeners, welcome. To our old listeners, welcome back. Another episode of Magical Education awaits you. But first, we would like to say a few words. Nitwit, blubber, oddment, tweak. Podcast nine and three quarters topic of the week is how would we write the cursed child? Hi listeners, I'm Rhea and I'll be writing the cursed child as Harry Potter and the midlife crisis. And I'm Jam and I'll be writing it as Daisy Dursley and the Wandless Warriors. That's such a good name. Oh, I'm so excited for your pitch. I'm excited for yours too. <laughs> I think it's very to the point. <laughs> Cursed Child. There's been a lot of stuff going on lately with Cursed Child and people have been losing their minds. Mm-hmm. So for those of you who don't know, on this day, the year of our law, 2019, uh, recently Cursed Child's like, creators and JK himself was like, hey, something big's going to happen with Cursed Child soon. And all the fans were like, oh my god, is it going to be a movie or a TV series? What's going to go on? And then the publicity stunt was announced and it was a logo change. Some people were like, cool. And other people were like, I hate this. I hate this. What the fuck is this? So um, <laughs> that got me thinking about Cursed Child again. And it got me thinking about how much I hate Cursed Child again. And how I wish it could have been. And it got me thinking about a really long time ago when I pitched to you an idea of what I wished Cursed Child could have been. And so now we're doing that today <laughs> to each other. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I I heard nothing about this controversy until you tagged me in something on Twitter. Yeah. And I went online and everyone was like, oh my God, Cursed Child, big news, things are happening. And I followed the link and it was a video of Times Square and all of the screens were lit up with the cursed child and then there was a big flash of lightning and then it was like harry potter and the cursed child i'm like what's happening (laughs) this is 2019 like the play's already out we already knew about this (laughs) like i couldn't figure out what was going on and it turned out it was just a new logo and i'm like that's nothing this isn't even news (laughs) (laughs) yeah so yeah i i understand why people are annoyed that it was like, oh my god, something so big, it's coming, it's happening, get ready. And then it was just like, literally nothing happened. <laughs> yeah. So, because we're going to be doing a bit of Cursed Child repitch in this episode, it's going to inevitably come to the fact where we trash elements of the Cursed Child, um, as it deserves. And I just want to say yeah. that if you're a fan of the Cursed <laughs> Child, that's fine. You can believe what you want to believe, and that's okay, and I respect it. But maybe don't listen to this episode because I hate the cursed child. Rhea hates the cursed child. <laughs> and we're going to be telling our opinions of how we think it should have been. So maybe this isn't the episode for you. Or listen on and have your mind changed. Who knows? Be enlightened. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's all i got to say on that. Do you have anything else you want to say before we sort of get into our pitches? No, I'm just excited to hear your take on the story, which I'm guessing is going to be a lot more 
detailed and well-structured than mine, which is basically just a loose collection of ideas that I have. So mine is not well-structured. Um, I got lost in the writing. I actually started writing paragraphs, which is dumb, rather than writing like dot points for the, how, <laughs> how I want the plot to go. So I've got a lot of beginning and a lot of setup in terms of characterization and the foundations of the plot but I'm going to need your help to help me end the story. I have a general idea of how it ends, but, like, I need your help to help me, like, get the rest of the story out. Okay, literally uh, the exact same thing. I've got, like, a <laughs> detailed beginning and then no ending. <laughs> Look, so maybe if we talk a lot of shit about the play, but we, should, we can't put our money where our mouth is. Hey, I only gave myself a few hours today. Like, if I had given myself more time, I could have whacked this all out, but I was a dumbass. I'm like, I can do this in a day. And then I had other stuff going on, so <laughs> whatever. Um, here we are. <laughs> so here's my opening for Daisy Dursley and the Wombless Warriors. Imagine, if you will, a split stage. On the left is King's Cross Station. On the right is Platform Nine and Three Quarters. And on the right, we see Harry Potter, Ginny, Young Albus, all that. On the left, we see a middle-aged man who's Dudley Dursley. He's a bit more built in a purposeful way. He has an 11-year-old girl by by his side. She's tomboyish, big-footed, broad shoulders, a little taller than average, plasters on her knees, you know, the whole look. Spotlight flicks between the two scenes back and forth as the dialogue begins. Albus is like, but Dad, what if I am put in Slytherin? And Harry's like, Albus Severus Potter, you were named after blah, blah, blah. We we know know the story. We know how it goes. (laughs) So (laughs) the young girl on the other side of the barrier says, Dad, what if the train doesn't come and Dudley's like trying to remain calm? He's like, it'll be okay, honey. These wizards work in odd ways. It's bound to turn up soon somehow. Albus is like, but if I am put in Slytherin and Harry says, then Slytherin would have gained an excellent wizard, blah, blah, blah. The young girl begins to look nervous. Dad, maybe, maybe this was a mistake. Maybe we should go home. I don't want to go to Hogwarts. I want to stay with you and Poppy. Dudley kneels down and tries to comfort his daughter. It's okay. I know this isn't easy, but remember what your granny said. Don't let anyone boss you around. The two giggle and break away. <laughs> Harry, if it really bothers you that much, you should know. The Sorting Hat takes your choice into account. Albus is like, really? And Ginny's like, the train's coming. Wrap this up, basically. <laughs> so <laughs> Dudley's, Dudley on the other side is like checking check his watch. He's like, the train's about to leave, but where is it? And then Daisy has a moment of remembering, an epiphany. She's like, Dad, Dad, Uncle Harry said that there was a gate to the platform. And Granny said that she, when she worked, that she had to walk through a wall. So she said it made her feel dizzy. And suddenly Daisy grabs her father's hand and they rush through the wall, leading into platform nine and three quarters. They realize that the train's about to leave and have a hurried goodbye. And then Daisy jumps onto the train as it starts to move away. Dudley chases after the train, waving goodbye to his daughter, feeling heartbroken, but also happy at the same time. And then he reaches the end of the platform and nearly bumps into Harry and Ginny. Dudley says nervously to his cousin, hi. Harry turns around, looking surprised. Oh, there you are. Did you get in the platform okay? He says, uh, yeah, Daisy figured it out. There's a pause. Dudley says, she'll be okay, won't she? You know, with your lot. Harry thinks for a moment, then says, she'll be fine, Dudley. He pauses. They both will. Scene two. Uh, I know, emotional. This is so cool already. I really love the split of the wall and the platform nine and three quarters and King's Cross Station on the other side. That's so cool. Yeah. I love, like, the visual language, like, the two worlds and then Daisy dragging Dudley through into the magical side. Oh, so cool. All this visual language in my head, like, it's very symbolic, but it's also important for the whole theme of the story. It it doesn't matter because I haven't figured out the ending yet, but in my head I know it's going to be very important. (laughs) (laughs) Classic English major. (laughs) I haven't got an ending, but I've got all the themes worked out. (laughs) Albus and Rose walk along the carriages until they find one that's relatively empty. They ask the boy inside if they can sit. The boy, Scorpius Malvoy, says yes, but they mightn't want to. Albus asks why, and Rose nudges him and explains that this is Scorpius Malfoy. An awkward silence ensues. Albus says, well, 
Rose says, Al, I don't think he wants us to sit with him. At the same time that Scorpius says, I won't blame you for leaving. But then Albus just says, can we still sit here? <laughs> There's another silence and a bit of awkward laughter. They all sort of acknowledge that this is a bit of a moment and know about the past that goes on, but they move into the carriage and sit down and start to introduce themselves properly. Daisy appears in the scene and recognizes Al, her cousin, and is invited to sit down with them. So, throughout the train ride, the kids all bond. There are a few references to the fact that, obviously, that the fathers of Alan Scorpius and Rose didn't get along. Daisy's introduced some key facts about Hogwarts and the Wizarding World. All the kids clearly present an idea of which house they'll be sawn into. Scorpion. Scorpion. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Scorpion Dwayne Johnson. Scorpius Malfoy is, like, betting on Slytherin. He's like, of course I'm going to be in Slytherin. That's what my whole family's in. Mm-hmm. Al and uh, Rose both want to be in Gryffindor. Daisy has little idea of the significance of the houses or the sorting ceremony, and says that she doesn't really care where she goes and hopes that she just doesn't look like an idiot. So this scene should establish a good dynamic amongst the four main characters, and yes, these are our main characters. So I'm talking witty one-liners, a light-hearted tone. It's important that all the characters are presented as different from one another, but complementary, so that those in the audience should kind of relate to one or two of them, but it doesn't really matter which ones. So then they arrive at Hogwarts, and it's time for good old-fashioned sorting. Now, this is more visual language that's important. Yay! So the four of them sit on separate stools downstage, the sorting hats appear in their heads at the same time. Now, we know that in real time, all these sortings are occurring, like, in a sequence. Yeah. They're not, like, happening all at the same time. But for visual effect, they're all going to happen at the same time. So, mm-hmm. Albus is on the far left, and the hat says that he's showing a determined mind. Albus wants to prove himself. Uh, this is reminiscent of Harry. And the hat says, I see what house you think you want, but to me, I think you would be better than what, than what you think, honestly. So, next in line is Rose. The hat says that she has a very bright mind, but one thing within her burns brighter than anything else. After that, Scorpius, the hat says that he was not expecting this, that Scorpius is going to be tested. And then last is Daisy. Oh my god, my page just decided to... <laughs> uh, where am I? <laughs> oh, I thought the sorting hat just changed his tone. Oh my god, who are you? <laughs> last is Daisy. The hat tells her she's filled with questions and that he doesn't have all the answers, she'll have to realise them for herself. That she has to take what's ahead of her and like do it herself independently, all this sort of stuff. So then, mm-hmm. all the cats on the kids' heads say simultaneously, well then, if that's all, better be. There's a pause. And then all, all the hats at once are like, Slytherin, Hufflepuff, Gryffindor, Ravenclaw, like all the houses at once. <laughs> so above Albus's head, the Slytherin banner unfurls. Above Rose's, the Hufflepuff banner. Above Scorpius's, the Gryffindor. And above Daisy, the Ravenclaw banner. So all the kids guess totally wrong what house they're going to be in. There's a pause. Cool, cool, cool. Albus, Rose, and Scorpius leap to their feet and shout, What? Daisy looks around nervously and says, is that good or bad? And then the scene ends. <laughs> All right. Oh, my sweet girl. She's so cute. <laughs> so this is just the establishing scene. I'm going to give you a bit of background on our mains because our main characters, I want us to focus a bit more on making the characters real and in depth because that was lacking in the original script um, <laughs> where the characters were bogus. So <laughs> here's what we need to know about Daisy. Uh, her mother's dead. She died after Poppy, her younger sister, was born when Daisy was probably about three. So after the mother died, Dudley really had to step up as the family man and take care of the girls. He'd already developed a lot since moving away from his parents and since Vernon died, but after this he changed even more. Uh, Petunia's still alive and is quite disapproving of how tomboyish Daisy is. Daisy is a uh, confident, you know, spunky, sparky girl. She has learned wrestling from her father. She's very curious and open-minded and asks a lot of questions a lot. <laughs> so, yes, wrestle girl, I love her. I know. Petunia, when she found out that Daisy was a witch, she was cold and distant at first, but Dudley really had to talk her around, and now she's kind of still hesitant, but accepting it. Mm-hmm. So what about Al? 
He's the only Potter child not to be sorted into Gryffindor. What's more, he's not at all like his dad. He's a dud. He can't play Quidditch. He's not naturally gifted at defensive spells. He's not a natural leader. And he's kind of in two minds about this. On the one hand, he desperately wants to be different from his father. Harry is still living off all the glory from his youth. And Al's known solely as just Harry Potter's son. And because he looks the most like Harry too, like yikes. So Al wants to be his own person. Yeah. But there's still a strong part of him that wants to please Harry. And so being a dud at mad- magic and not being good at Quidditch, it's kind of deeply troubling for him. And not being a Gryffindor too. And the, mm. the tabloids. I really like that about Al. Yeah. I really like that he's not chosen one. He's not naturally good at everything. He's not yeah. the head of every team. He's just kind of a guy. <laughs> That's what I liked about the Cursed Child. I think they got that on the nail. Uh, they hit that nail on the head, mm. I should say. The tabloids and the Daily Prophet too love digging on Albus. They call him the Cursed Child. They say that Har- he's Harry Potter's biggest shame and all this nonsense. As for Harry, God. he always brushes it off the media hype. He's gotten used to it over the years and he assures Al it's all rubbish, that he doesn't care if Al's a Slytherin. This is only half of what Al needs to hear. Al wants Harry to care that he is in Slytherin. He wants Harry to be really proud of that. When Harry says things like, no matter what, Al, you're still my son, it's bittersweet. It reinforces to Al that his dad loves him and he knows this, but it sends another message too. Al wants to be known as more than just Harry Potter's son. And when Harry says, no matter what, it kind of makes Al feel like Harry loves him despite the fact that he's in Slytherin. So it's complicated, Uh, but the relationship isn't trash and gross like it is in Cursed Child, where Harry says stuff like, I wish you weren't my son. Gross, disgusting, and I don't accept it. Yeah, yeah, of course not. We gotta fix that. So then we have Rose. Rose, who showed so much potential for being a great leader of the br- or the brightest witch of her age, sorted into Hufflepuff. This comes as a really big blow for her. When she's in the house, she firmly feels like she doesn't belong there. In fact, she even tries hard to distinguish herself as worthy of being in Gryffindor or even Ravenclaw. She works hard to be an excellent student and even makes a Quidditch team. What Rose doesn't realise is that the Sorting Hat knew Rose was clever and brave, but what was more dominant within her was her loyalty, hard work ethic, and kindness. She eventually comes to realise that this doesn't make her less than anyone else. And, like, she's such a hard worker. She tries to work so hard to prove that she's not a Hufflepuff, but it just ends up kind of proving that she is a Hufflepuff. <laughs> gotcha. Tricked ya. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> so now on to Scorpius, who's more shocked than anyone to get sold into Gryffindor. He's naturally quiet and sensitive and doesn't get along easily with the other Gryffindors. In fact, they don't like him at all because he's a Malfoy. In third year, his mother succumbs to illness and passes away, putting more strain on him, the father-son dynamic between the Malfoys. Mm-hmm. What Scorpius um, doesn't realise is that Draco isn't upset with him for being in Gryffindor at all. Sure, it came as a, so- as a shock, and Scorpius is the first Malfoy in centuries to not be a Slytherin. But Draco is more worried that Scorpius will be vulnerable in Gryffindor, that his doormates will bully him for being a Malfoy, that Scorpius, who is naturally timid, will have difficulty like getting by in Gryffindor, and Draco's right about all this. When his mum dies, Draco sort of like pushed into the combined parent role, and it's kind of hard to be the entire parent, but I thought about a really great moment later on between them. I don't know when it comes into the play. But basically, Scorpius kind of brings up his insecurities with Draco. He tells him that he feels that Draco's disappointed in him, that he's not living up to the family traditions, that he's, and he's like, I'm sorry, father. I'm sorry that I can't be what you wanted. And Draco's like, I have never been more proud of a son who can admit to his father. That, like He can express his own fears to his father. Like That's what makes me proud of you. And I know I've done right by you. <laughs> Like, because Draco's still a good father. That's one thing I want to keep from the original Cursed Child. Draco's a good father. Good. And Draco's like, the fact that I have a son who's not terrified of disappointing his father, that makes 
you belong in the house of bravery. That makes you brave and that makes you strong. And I'm like, <sighs> amazing. Anyway. That's so good. So. I had one thought here because I kind of read over these notes before we started the episode. I had one idea for a scene with Draco and Scorpius. Can I interrupt you? Is that okay? No. Yeah, go for it. Go jump into your pitch? Yeah. I want to play off the idea of family trees here. So you know how there's the big black family tree? Yeah. 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 So imagine this scene is taking place like somewhere in Malfoy Manor and there's the Malfoy family tree like in a big banner up on the back of the stage. Mm -hmm. And like throughout the whole story, Scorpius has been saying to himself, Malfoys are always Slytherins. All of my family have been Slytherin going back centuries. My dad told me this, blah, blah, blah. When they have the scene that you've just described where Draco's like, you know, I'm so proud of you. Mm -hmm. It's so good you can stand up to me, that sort of thing. Scorpius can be like, but you said that Malfoys are always in Slytherin. And Draco can be like, I'm sorry I said that to you. I thought that I'd already done all of the hard work of unlearning the things that I was taught at your age, but now I've realized that I don't think I'll ever be finished with that. I told you that all Malfoys are Slytherins because that's what I was taught, but when you got sorted into Gryffindor, I did some research of my own into our family tree, and I found another Gryffindor Malfoy from a few generations back, and then I found another one, and then I found another one, and a Hufflepuff, and some Ravenclaws. Yeah. And... So that's so nice. Uh, sorry. Oh my god. Caught. Oh my god. And he adds them to the family tree. He adds them to the tree. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. And so then Draco's like, you know, like you're not alone. You're still a Malfoy. You're still part of our family. But I think we need to do some revising of what the Malfoy family is. And then they use magic to start fixing the family tree. Like they're adding branches that were burned away. <sighs> they're adding in details that were left out. And they're rewriting their history to what it it truly is and what it always should have been, not the edited pure blood prejudice version. I'm crying. <laughs> this is beautiful. <laughs> I love yes. this. This is happening. That's my scene that I want to add into your story. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Um, getting back to what I was saying. Okay. So I really want to emphasize with these kids that they're all a good representation of the four houses. Like on the outside, they may appear to subvert the expectations. Scorpius is introverted and cautious. Al is bold and temperamental. Rose is brainy and a leader. And Daisy is buff and can be ignorant at times. But when push comes to shove, they shine through with the best of their house. <laughs> Muscle <call>. princess. <laughs> She's so buff. Uh, when push comes to shove, they shine through with the best of their house qualities. So, um, Scorpius has a quiet bravery, which is way stronger than the showy bravado. Al may seem gone ho and impulsive, but it comes from a deep-seated desire to change the world and make something different and unique of himself and to be great. Uh, and when it comes to saving the day, Al and Daisy are the ones scheming the plan. As for Daisy, deep down, she goes, she's got that street smart. She's insightful and wants to learn more about this world and is unendingly curious about her place in it. And she has great emotional intelligence. Rose is uncontrollably kind, will always help those in need, is fiercely loyal and a damn hard worker. <laughs> So, yes, yeah, I really want to emphasize the characterization because Cursed Child had none, basically. <laughs> and it's important to solidify that there's heroes in every house. <laughs> yes, that's so good and so important. I love that you're giving us really strong characters from all four houses yeah. that are like close friends and work together rather than like an all Gryffindor team like we've always had. Yeah. Also, Street Smart Ravenclaw, real good. Breaking that bookish yeah. stereotype. Yeah. She's not a nerd. She's buff. <laughs> So then I was thinking about uh, the side characters, so I'm just going to briefly go over them. We've got Dudley Dursley, like I said before, trying really hard to get used to all this magical stuff and walking the fine line between being overly protective of his daughters and also teaching them how to protect yes. and defend themselves. He's trying to be like a good dad, basically. Cool. And he works as like a wrestling coach in a public school, which Poppy attends. 
Poppy Dursley was a really positive and sunny child, but became a bit jealous when her older sister, who she idolised, became a witch. And Poppy feels like she's been kind of abandoned by Daisy since Daisy's been going off to Hogwarts and getting this whole new world that Poppy can't be a part of. Harry Potter, still a famous name, stopped for autographs and picking up groceries, all that jazz. Um, he used to be head of the aura department, but became DADA professor at Hogwarts in Albus's second year. Harry loves all of his children more than anything, but has a little bit of a struggle understanding the motivations <laughs> behind some of Albus's more impulsive behavior. So the relationship between Albus and Harry is the most difficult one for him to try to control around his kids. Okay, cool. I like that he's at Hogwarts as a professor. That brings him into the story more. Yeah, he picked that up in the second year for the main characters. Sorry, then we've got Ginny. She, loving and fierce mother, basically. <laughs> Same old good Ginny. Used to play for Holyhead <laughs> Harpies and is now a sports reporter for the Daily Prophet. Travels a lot. And then we've got the two other Potter children, James and Lily. I'm making them pretty much very similar characters. Like, they're both lovable, crafty, sneaky, both good namesakes and mischiefs. Even Lily, I want her to be, like, seeming like the innocent flower, but really she's kind of, like, a little crafty. <laughs> a little sneaky one. <laughs> she's really the serpent under it. <laughs> yeah, she really is the serpent under it. She really is. <laughs> then we got, um, oh yeah, they're both in Gryffindor, of course, as well. So then we got Ron Weasley. Uh, Ron Weasley works in the aura department under the recently appointed head. What's his face? Who cares? I have to make up Ooh. a character for that. But basically he's like the, the grudging police sergeant <laughs> who thinks it should be like the old days and all this sort of stuff. So Ron Weasley is a loving father, fun uncle. He plays a bit of a, like a Holden Ford from Mindhunter season one role in this play where he thinks that he's onto something going on the criminal underworld and he's right, but no one else believes him. <laughs> Um, so cool. yeah, love my boy. So then we got Hermione Granger Weasley. She's working in the Department of Magical Creatures in the Ministry, and she's making huge strides for Elfish welfare. But now there's a lot of pressure on her to like run for minister, and she's interested, but she doesn't want to abandon all her progress that she's made with the elves, like without seeing it through. Um, so there's lots of like mm-hmm. rumors that she's abandoning her job to become minister and all this sort of stuff, and she's like denying them. But she's also like she's like kombucha girl. She's like no, yeah. Mm. <laughs> then we got um. <laughs> Hugo Granger Weasley, he's the lovable young Gryffindor, the golden child. Rose is kind of jealous of how easy it can be for Hugo's accomplishments to be recognized by the school and by her family when Rose feels like she has to work twice as hard to really get that recognition that Hugo does. It's kind of like, yeah. Then we got Neville Longbottom. Yeah. He's the herbology teacher at Hogwarts. Yes, my boy. Yeah, I wanted to actually include Neville in this play because, cursed child, Neville's not fucking there and he's a professor at the school. Anyway... (laughs) So yeah. he's the herbology teacher at Hogwarts, and he's also the favorite teacher of our main four, especially Scorpius. He's also head of Gryffindor House now. And then we got Teddy Lupin, who works at St. Mungo's, perfectly nice guy with a pension for giving sweets to patients young and old. So yeah, that's our main cast. I also had a question because I realized McGonagall, so JK said ages ago that McGonagall retired after the series ended. In the Cursed Child play, she is headmistress, another break of canon. So I was thinking, like, okay, who <laughs> is going to be headmaster or headmistress? I hadn't thought of anyone. Okay. So. Well, it could be Neville. I don't know. I kind of really want to keep him as herbology teacher because there's reasons for it. Okay. All right. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe I can make Flitwick headmaster. I don't know. Well. Who knows? Because of Wizarding Ages, any of Harry's professors could still be there and still be teaching and be headmaster. Yeah, anyway, I haven't really thought of it, and it's not important now. Okay. So what about the plot, you're, you're asking me, surely? So, um, <laughs> I've sort of, this is what I've got so far. Okay. My first initial question is, who are these kids and what do they want? So this is establishing a lot of, like, the setup for the characters and the story progression. 
So five years pass by from the moment that they're sorted in flashes. So we see just like bits and pieces as the years go by. We see Daisy starting out feeling insecure in her new environment, not getting good marks, struggling to make friends with other Ravenclaws. She sends letters back home to Poppy, who reads them out to Dudley, while the audience sees the scenes described in the letters played out. Daisy writes that she misses her sister, etc. Rita Skeeter's skate mm-hmm. uh, review takes on like Albus Potter, the cursed child of hero Harry Potter. And they're read out while we're seeing what Albus is going through. So Albus is feeling wary about being a Slytherin. He gets a lot of whispers from the students in other houses, but is treated like a hero by his fellow housemates, who seem to think that Harry Potter's son will start to make people think about Slytherin a little differently. And he doesn't know how to feel about this. He he kind of likes the attention, but he also doesn't know what to do with it. (laughs) Because he's like, I don't know if this is the right attention. Not the right kind of attention, really. (laughs) Not, Not ideal. Albus's worst classes, Defense Against the Dark Arts, and according to Rita Skeeter, this prompted Harry to take the position as the professor in Albus's second year, in the hope that Albus's shocking results in this subject could be hushed up. Oh god. Rita Skeeter's the worst. I know. <laughs> Such a bitch. So Albus's best class is potions, and he's a shocking flyer. In flying class, there's a scene where his classmates laugh at him stumbling and failing to mount his broom, saying that his cousin Daisy, who's never seen a broom in her life, must have gone all his parents' talent. Yeah. Wow, okay. Kids are so mean. Teachers like Flitwick, Flitwick and Hagrid accidentally call Albus Harry sometimes and then have to like call themselves up on it. Ugh. Yikes. Um, <laughs> so Scorpius too feels like an outcast. Oh, poor Albus. Scorpius feels like an outcast in Gryffindor. No one in the house wants to associate with him. Neville picks up on this fast and takes Scorpius under his wing by inviting him to start a herbology club because Scorpius is really good at herbology. So Al is the first and only member to begin with. <laughs> I know. Scorpius writes to his parents saying that he's trying to make friends, and even though he flunked his Quidditch tryout, he thinks he might be able to make a prefect like his dad if he keeps up the good grades and gets involved in school leadership. And we always see Alan Scorpius together all the time. Like, they're in class together, <laughs> they're eating lunch together all the time. Because, you know, in this play, they're gonna be gay. There's no queer baiting here. <laughs> they're gonna be yes. gay. <laughs> JK Rowling may say she's all progressive and stuff like that, but if she was really, you know, living up to that, she would have made Albus and Scorpius gay and not queer the fuck out of them. So, yeah. all right, now we go to Rose. And similar thing where it's like we're getting a commentary from Rose's perspective. She writes in her diary, a master plan to prove to everyone that I should have been put in Gryffindor or at least Ravenclaw. <laughs> and she reads this master plan out as we're watching what, what's going on in, like, her school years. Cool. So... Step one, get the best grades in every class. We see Rose staying up late into the night, surrounded by books. We see her pacing the library while Daisy reads for a parchment to quiz her. Step two, get onto the Quidditch team. We see Rose being hoisted up into the air by her fellow Hufflepuffs, while announcer says, Seeker Rose Granger Weasley has won the first match of Hufflepuff. Daisy, wearing Ravenclaw Quidditch robes and holding a beater's bat, cheers from her friend on, getting some odd looks from the rest of her team. Step three, be one of the most popular kids in school. We see Rose being waved at as she walks down the halls, chatting amicably to the kids of all ages and cliques. Rose's dormitory walls are covered with badges and posters for dozens of school clubs, from SPEW to the Gobstones group and even the Herbology Club. Step four, break a few rules. <laughs> we see Rose uh, besting a student in a duel to a small crowd of cheering onlookers. We see Rose followed by Alan Daisy, dragging a nervous Scorpius along behind her. And he says, we're not supposed to be out at night. We should go back to our dormitories. Plus, this corridor is forbidden. And she's like, come on, Scorpius. What's life without a few dragons? Rose replies, and she opens an old door labeled no entry with an Alamora charm. When the door opens, a horrifying screech cries out from the other side. And all the four kids scream and run away. (laughs) That's so good. I love that. (laughs) What's life without a few dragons? Yeah, fan service. Quoting her own dad. 
We see Rose sit solemnly at the dinner table on Christmas under a huge banner that says, Congratulations, Hugo, on getting into Gryffindor. Ron, Hermione, Hugo, and the other Weasers are all eating and chatting happily. Rose sighs and takes out her diary. Step five. Keep trying. Oh, no. Why do you hurt me like this? <gasps> Ron tries to tell his boss that he's come across a case which concerns him. The case involves a group of wizards harassing an elderly squib, leaving tricks on her doorstep and casting spells on her plants so that they explode, stuff like that. Ron's boss tells him to basically ignore it and get, get back to his real job, which is going undercover in Nocturne Alley and trying to catch anyone doing anything dark or nefarious. Ron protests that this sort of beat cop work hasn't brought forth anything fruitful and makes an argument that Arthur Weasley would be proud of, saying that the harassment of this squib warrants further investigation. But Ron is dismissed by his boss. We follow Ron as he apparates into an alley and turns a corner onto the London street outside Leaky Cauldron. And there are Dudley, Daisy and Poppy having a discussion. Ron walks past them into the Leaky Cauldron. Daisy's saying that it's alright for Poppy and Dad to come to, Hog- to come Hogwarts shopping with her, but Poppy's adamant. She says it's scary walking into a building that you can't even see is there, and the last time she was in Diagon Alley, people kept giving her funny looks when they realised who she was. Despite Daisy's attempts, Dudley and Poppy say they'll meet her after she's finished with her shopping. While all our mains are in Diagon Alley, they're confronted by a small number of protesters, or squibs, being watched closely by a group of goblins having lunch. The squibs are protesting with signs and chanting, demanding recognition as magical citizens, increased wages, anti-discrimination laws, etc. Goblins are explaining to onlookers that the law states that non-magical beings have the right to protest. They're saying this quite angrily because people are getting, like, disturbed. And goblins have a history of (laughs) revolutions, so they're like... They have a right to be here. <laughs> yeah. Some onlookers are complaining about the space in the street being taken up, <laughs> and, and can't the squibs go somewhere else and stop being so loud, etc. An onlooking wizard uses the Langlock charm on one of the squibs. So that's the charm that glues your tongue to the roof of your mouth, so you can't talk and it's quite painful. Ron, Harry, and Hermione intervene. Yeah. So the scene sort of changes, and Rose, Al, and Daisy find Scorpius and Diagon Alley. Draco's with him at first, talking quietly, and then he gets his son the biggest bowl of ice cream you can imagine, and leaves to pick up Scorpius' new book. <laughs> <laughs> so Scorpius, of course, Scorpius then reveals to the other kids. <laughs> still spoiled. He's still a mouthful. No, no, there's a reason. Scorpius reveals to the other kids that his mum has died, and they all comfort him. Oh, okay. So that's a good reason. Yeah, it's then. a comfort ice cream. Like the, his dad and he are talking mm. about what's going on. His dad's like, "All right, I'm gonna go get your books. You just wait here and you eat some fucking ice cream. <laughs> you need a break." Mm. Yeah. So they all comforted. And now I've just got dot points of what rest I was writing out. So basically, in the next few flashes of time passing, we see more important things like Daisy writes letters to Poppy all the time, but she rarely responds. Albus watches Lily get sold into Gryffindor. Yikes. Mm. Herbology Club consists of our form of our main four and becomes kind of a pseudo-support and study group among the friends. Rose and Daisy work on lifting Daisy's marks. Daisy and Scorpius connect over absent mother figures. Rose and Al bond over feeling pressures to live up to their parents' hype, etc. It's fifth year and Daisy says goodbye to her family at King's Cross, then goes through the barrier. Dudley says, oh no, she forgot her prefix badge and hurries through the barrier after her. Poppy stands there looking morose and annoyed. When she notices a strange man looking at her, he approaches and explains that he is a wantless warrior, and he knows exactly how she feels. Poppy seems interested and compelled by what he's saying, and accepts a copy of his manifesto, shoving it quickly into her pocket and out of sight when her dad returns. In scenes at Hogwarts, we see students reading Daily Prophets that have headlines like Squib Strike and Granger Passes Anti-Elf Cruelty Act and Goblin Gold Funds Wantless Warriors and stuff like this. Harry holds Albus back after DIDA class to tell him that his grades are slipping, 
ethically harry can't privately tutor al because it's kind of dodgy yeah um but he does lend him some old books about defensive and combative magic fun fact for the fan service these are the books that lupin the serious bought harry oh order the phoenix and harry's like i know (laughs) harry tells albus that he's proud of him no matter what this is a half win half sting for albus Mm -hmm. so now it's time for the main events and the actual timeline so the actual story is taking place in year six this has all just been like getting the context yeah so lots of like uh what's it called montaging and stuff you've been doing really well with like they're montaging yeah they're reading letters and writing in their diary and stuff at the same time as scenes are happening in the background that's gonna look really cool on a stage yeah a lot of this could be cut i'm just trying to like establish the background so everyone knows where i'm kind of going okay so now we get to the main events so our first point of action year six we start at platform nine and three quarters in king's cross station split set on one side are Daisy, her father, and Poppy saying their goodbyes, and the other side are our three mains with their families also saying their goodbyes. Just as some family spats erupt on both sides for the Dursleys, Poppy refuses to give her sister a hug goodbye, and the sisters get teary, and for the Potters it's a bickering between Albus and Harry. A hooded figure steals across the stage and seems to stab Albus. <gasps> Albus quivers, then falls down limply. There are screams of confusion and fear. Harry and the other adults snap into action, firing spells at the hooded figures. Yes, figures now, because the platform is quickly being swamped by hooded figures. Oh, no. Some of the figures stagger, but keep running, stabbing at more of the people on the platform, especially the children. Two wizards run through the barrier into King- onto King's Cross Station, and the argument between the Dursleys is interrupted. Daisy looks frightened, tells her family to stay where they are, and tries to run through the barrier. But Dudley grabs her hood, so Daly- Daisy only takes half a step through the barrier, sees the chaos, and is pulled back. Albus blearily comes to, sees the people around him with wands drawn, and jumps up to join them, but finds that he can't cast a single spell. The same is happening to other people who have been struck and are trying to fight back. Daisy insists that she has to go back to the fray, and struggles out of Dudley's grasp, even though he protests, and she goes back into through the portal and looks at what's going on and hides under, underneath something to assess the situation. So basically at this point, the wizards have all been struck, and they're all sort of li- like limply weakly like fallen over or they're leaning on something and they've been surrounded by these hooded figures one man steps forward and says that he is a leader of the wandless warriors and that now wizards will know how it feels to live in fear and to feel powerless and all this sort of stuff and it's very spooky daisy okay daisy shocked and sickened by what she's seeing kicks a nearby hooded figure so that he falls down and like <laughs> like knocks out another hooded figure like sees that there's a child here who's like causing a havoc tries to grab her but she twists him around has him in headlock like a wrestler's headlock this sort of <laughs> yes sparks a commotion people realize that they can move and the train starts going and it's full of sound people are getting up wizards are getting up they can't use magic but they're still like lazily kicking and punching with the best they can at their weak state at these hooded figures. The hooded figures start to panic and they drop some smoke bombs and start to go away. The one that ha- the Daisy has in a headlock manages to jabber with a long silvery uh, rod looking object and Daisy goes limp and falls down. Mm-hmm. As the hooded figures disappear into the crowd, the last thing that we see is the spotlight shining on Harry, terrified, holding his son limply in his hands. Mm-hmm. And then that's all I have so far. Oh, so. God, that's so good. <laughs> Basically, yeah. That's such a cool scene. I know. So my pitch is uh, Squidbub Pricing. It's called The Wantless Warriors. So Squids, with the financial and technical support of goblins, getting, like, this cool armor, which is, like, shock absorbent. From, it's made of, like, a goblin technology. So when spells are cast, most spells are deflected. Some spells are even, like, absorbed into the armor so that when Squibs touch people, they get knocked back. But most importantly, they have these weapons called leeches, 
And these are like these silver rod things that we saw hit Daisy. And this is what Wyvern looked like they were being stabbed. They were just being prodded by these things. And what leeches do is they seem to drain the magic temporarily from people. And so, yeah, that's my premise. Uh, it's basically very frightening. <laughs> the whole wizarding world shits itself because they've realized that this is something that they've never faced before. But Daisy has a bit of an advantage here because she's a wrestler. So she starts teaching her friends how to defend themselves in that way. But yeah, I haven't really thought of more stuff that goes on. Yes in terms of the climax and stuff like that. But I know that I want it to end with the Squib Uprising is quelled by Hermione sort of stepping into a leadership position, either running for ministry office or either she gets the Minister of Magic position. And she's like sort of appeasing. Obviously, mm -hmm. the Squib Uprising is done by extremists. There's parts throughout the story where people like, Squibbers that we know from the story, like Filch, are captured for interrogation. And he he's had nothing to do with this ex extremist stuff. And he's like, I just do my job at Hogwarts and I hate all you students, but I'm not going to be stabbing people with rods and all this sort of stuff. So these extremists are, mm. you know, captured, but also squibs and um, muggles who have family members who are wizards are given better access to the world at the end. Like there's more, a, more of an encouragement to have families being able to visit magical spaces, to even be able to visit Hogwarts with the assistance of witches and wizards and stuff like this. Mm -hmm. And so there's just more more of an opening and and between that gap. And it's, it's very reminiscent of what we see in the first scene where there's that clear divide and, you know, it's sort of reaching across that divide. That's the sort of message I want to put in this story and I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to do it in the whole plot. But yeah, that's it. Um, <laughs> there's also a part where Poppy is kind of like, lured to the dark side like oh is she gonna become an extremist is she gonna like try and attack her sister and all this sort of stuff but then she has a meeting with grandma petunia and petunia has a, a strict talk to her about how even though this is very scary and uncomfortable and infuriating for her that her sister has all this power and has all this other world that isn't her they need to work it out as human beings and not hate each other and all this sort of stuff so it's kind of nice mm -hmm. yeah that's what i have yeah, I really like Petunia being like, don't make the same mistakes that I made. Love your sister. Yeah. Even if you resent her a little bit. Mm. Yeah, and then lots of stuff where, like, you know, Rose comes to realize that she shouldn't be jealous of her brother, that her parents are actually really proud of her. They just forget to show it sometimes and they're going to make more of an effort. You know, Al realizes that he's a proud Slytherin and he embraces it totally and he's, like, coming up with all these great ideas to change the world and make it better and he's really ambitious and stuff. Albus and Scorpius are in love, and that's great. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, all that jazz. That's that's my big pitch, though. That's all I have, really, in my mind. That's so good, though. That's such an exciting story. I like that it's not about Voldemort. <laughs> not, I do not want a little inkling of Voldemort or Death Eaters or people escaping Azkaban. I don't care. Mm -hmm. It's been done. Yeah. I don't want it. <laughs> I want something new. It's good. <laughs> I like that it's political, it's a new yeah. kind of enemy, a new kind of threat that the magical world hasn't really had to deal with before. But also, mm. like, fans of the book will know that the Goblin Rebellions is something that's happened all throughout Wizarding history. Goblins are always trying to stir up shit and yeah. cause havoc. So I like the idea of goblins teaming up with squibs. The Wandless. Yeah, the Wandless. It's got a very um, Legend of Korra season one vibe to it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it does. <laughs> the, um, but hey, people called the equalists. The equalists, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. 
Hey, Legend of Korra is a great series. Good. Why not steal ideas from it? I was it? definitely, I didn't intend to steal ideas from it until I actually like sort of wrote down all my ideas and I look back and I'm like, oh, that is very Legend of Korra season one, isn't it? <laughs> but hey, mm. <laughs> it works. And I think it's something that's really, it hasn't been like, it was sort of touched on in the books. Yes, yeah, Squibs are second class citizens. They can't see magical creatures. They're not treated like actual people by the government. And I just think that it was one of those holes at the end of the series that people felt sort of disenfranchised by when they read the epilogue. Mm. Where it's like, all is well now, except for for the house elves and the squibs and the centaurs. And all this. I think people had a lot of issues. So I'd like to see how that, I like to see it. I like to see how that plays out. Yeah, it's good. There's a lot of fertile ground to explore there. Mm. And also mm. Daisy being a perfect, like, entry point of being uh, divided between two worlds she loves her family and she misses them but she's also starting to feel connected to this world and she feels resentful that she has to choose to be a wizard that she can't be both a wizard and a muggle yeah (laughs) so yeah i like that i like that tension yeah it's very like a mixed race kid like second generation immigrant sort of story of being like i belong to this world but i belong to this Mm. other world as well and i don't really fit perfectly into either and which side of my identity is the one that I want to choose and why do I have to choose all that sort of story yeah very cool yeah mixed with a redemption arc for all the houses getting along and actually not fighting and mixed with a screw uprising story mm. <laughs> so yeah yeah very cool yes I love that we get all of the houses working together finally <laughs> the promised text yeah Oh, I love our wrestle girl teaching the wizards to fight with their fists. Yeah. That's really good. She's good. I I just, I really want there to be an emphasis on one of the big themes of the story is change. Like, it's time for the wizarding world to change. It's time for us to start opening up more to the muggles that we live alongside and love and respect. It's time for us to change Mm -hmm. and to realize that squibs are part of this world. They're not just outcasts that we can, you know, throw in the bin. They actually are part of this world. It's yeah. I really want to, and it's time to change and say Slytherin is no longer the evil one, and Hufflepuff no, is no longer the dumb one, and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, that's what I want to emphasize. Cool. Yeah, change is a good theme. I like it. So tell me mm. your pitch. Oh, okay. Harry Potter and the Midlife Crisis. <laughs> so, a lot of the ideas that I had for rewriting the Cursed Child were sort of similar stuff. Similar stuff to what you were covering. Yeah. With like Daisy Dursley and, you know, make Scorbus canon, all that sort of basic stuff. Yeah. But I kind of, partially just so that this episode wasn't like, you tell your version of the story and I tell my version and they're exactly the same. I'm like, <laughs> let's take this in a different direction. I want to try and do something a bit different. Spice it up. So, yeah, I want to focus more on Harry and I want to get away from Hogwarts yeah. and tell a more like adult story. Sure. So a bit more political and a bit more focused on, like, parenthood. Mm-hmm. So our opening scene is the 19 years later scene from the book, but it's just exactly the same as it is in the book. It's literally just like, okay, here's the characters, they're on stage, learn who they are, yeah. just so that you're in the scene and you're in the space. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just familiar ground for the audience. And then Albus gets on the train and he goes to Hogwarts and we stay with Lily... Ginny and Harry on the platform. Yeah. And then the stage goes dark and a big banner unfurls and it's nine months later, 2nd of May, 2018. Okay. Here's the start of the play. We're at a ball. 
it's a big fancy ministry event mm-hmm. and all of our important adult characters are there there's no children right now yeah fuck them kids i'm visualizing this as like like a really crowded party but i don't know how that works on stage <laughs> like yeah. i'm not used to writing for a theater setting so cut me some slack <laughs> okay so this is called something like the Remembrance Ball or the Victory Ball or something like that. And it's a huge big event that the Ministry of Magic throws every year on the anniversary of the Battle of Hogwarts to celebrate the mm. defeat of Voldemort. Okay, sure. This particular ball is very special because it's been 20 years. It's the 20 year anniversary. Yeah. And naturally the guest of honor is like Mr. Harry Potter himself. Of course. So there's like an announcer person who's like giving a speech to officially launch the ball. Lee this is the Minister of Magic. Oh, no, it's Lee Jordan, <laughs> the Ministry of Magic. Oh, okay. The Minister of Magic. <laughs> uh, I don't know if this is someone we know or just a brand new character. Like, it could be Kingsley Shacklebolt, but does the Ministry of Magic just, like, does he just stay until he gets voted out or does he have to run for election every year? <laughs> like, I have no idea. How does it work? Whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, I don't know. It's the Minister of Magic. <laughs> yeah. So he's there basically just to give us some starting exposition. To explain to our audience, like, this is the events that we're at. This is what we're celebrating. It's the anniversary, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And catch us up on what have our main characters have been doing. So he's like, you know, Ron and Hermione and Harry. But where is Harry? <laughs> so Ron and Hermione are up on stage, but Harry is just not there. Okay. And the announcer tries to be like, and now Harry Potter will open the event properly by giving a speech, but he's just not there. <laughs> so Hermione steps in. And she starts talking about the Department of Magical Law Enforcement. That's where she and Harry both work. Harry's an aura and she's like a lawmaker. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how anything works. A DA, whatever. Yeah. And she talks about Voldemort's legacy. Yeah. It didn't die when he died. So many of his Death Eaters and supporters like Fenrir Greyback remained at large for years. And the aura department, with Harry Potter in the lead, because he's the head of the department now, have only just finished tracking them all down. Like, it took 20 years to get rid of all these people mm-hmm. and send them to Azkaban. Meanwhile, for all of that time... So the Nuremberg trials are done. Yeah, it's all done now. <laughs> now it's over. Yeah. No more Voldemort. He's dead. <laughs> He's dead. <laughs> Meanwhile, all of that time, Hermione has been working to rewrite outdated policies. Like, the things that let Voldemort take over in the f- first place. And she's all about reshaping okay. the wizarding world into a place that welcomes everyone regardless of blood status. But, you know, there's still a long way to go, and it's the responsibility of all of them to keep working and fight for a more inclusive world for house elves and werewolves and centaurs and uh, her speech fades out into the background. Sure. As she's talking, our attention is drawn to the other side of the crowd, where Harry and Ginny are trying to, like, slip into the back unnoticed. Yeah. <laughs> and Ron sees them, and he leaves the stage, and he makes his way through the crowd, and he's like, you're running late to your own party. <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> and Harry's like, look, it's, not, it's this isn't my party. This is a party for everyone who fought against Voldemort. But this is a blatant lie, <laughs> because the whole stage is decorated in, like, huge banners of Harry's face. <laughs> <laughs> like Dobby decorated. That are like... <laughs> Yeah, like Dobby decorated. And it's all like, the boy who lived, the chosen one, oh the saviour, defeated Voldemort. It's, uh, <laughs> and Harry, like, like he doesn't want to be here, but he is. <laughs> and Harry and Ginny explained that the reason they're late is because there was a problem with their babysitter and they couldn't find anyone to take care of Lily because everyone is here. Like, literally everyone is here. Sure. So they ended up dropping her off with their cousin. 
And Ron's like, you know, it's a lot of Weasleys. Be more specific. And they're like, no, we mean her cousin Daisy Dursley. So she's with the Dursleys right now. Uh-huh. So Hermione's speech is over, and now the party's getting started. And Harry starts getting pulled away from this conversation with Ron and Ginny from one person to the other. There's people taking his photo, people want autographs, they're asking him questions, and they're questions that are like a confusing mix of like, what was it like to fight Voldemort and hunt Horcruxes? And like, oh. how's, how's things in the aura department? What's it like having kids? And it's like just this, this confusing mix of his whole life and everyone's getting drunk and rowdy and it's crazy. And like, I want this scene to feel like a panic attack. <laughs> and then suddenly the Minister for Magic is giving a toast to Harry Potter. Sure. He's talking about what an honour it was to work with him as the head of the aura department during my time of Minister for my time as Minister for Magic, it's such a shame that I'll be stepping down. And someone in the crowd interrupts him and is shouting, Potter for Minister! And it catches on. And everyone's yelling. And Harry keeps trying to, like, get out of this situation and get back oh. to his wife and Ron and Hermione. Oh. But somehow he gets, he gets pulled up onto a chair and people are chanting, speech, speech, speech! And Harry, like, he's got his drink in his hand and he's like, I spent my entire childhood at Hogwarts fighting Voldemort, oh, no. and then I spent my adulthood in the aura department fighting his followers, and now I quit. And then he drains his drink, and it cuts to black. <laughs> Harry fucking Potter, yes. ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. It's what we deserve. Like, I wanted to feel like he was so overwhelmed by all of this that his brain turned off, and he just started talking. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Amazing. I can. I, don't, I don't want to flash. I wanted to flash to Harry lying on the therapist chair and be like, "I don't know why I said that. It totally just slipped out." And Joker sitting there like, mm -hmm. <laughs> "Like, how do you feel about that?" Honestly, you, you kind of predicted the next scene. <laughs> so not. <laughs> of I did. Not quite a therapy session, but the next scene is like. You know when it's the end of the party and you're walking home in the dark and everyone's like, "Where are we? What's happening?" <laughs> That's Harry, Ron, and Hermione and yeah, Ginny yeah. all walking home. They're drunk. The girls aren't wearing their shoes anymore. <laughs> and they're all just like, yeah. what just happened? And Ron's laughing and Hermione's like, I can't believe you, Harry. Do you never think? And Ginny's just like, I think it's great. <laughs> and Harry's just like, I just opened my mouth and words came out. I don't know. I don't think these things through, you guys. So Hermione's like, what are you doing now? Like, what, what, what's the plan here? And Ron's like, you know, you're always welcome to come stack shelves at the joke shop with me and George. And Harry's like, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to go pick up my daughter and then I'll see you guys later. <laughs> and he apparates off to Dudley's house. Yeah. Dudley's house is in absolute chaos. Pandemonium. I don't know exactly. <laughs> Pandemonium. I don't know exactly what's happening, but it's something magic and it's got big chaotic energy. Like... Maybe the furniture's come to life or something? I'm imagining, like, you know, the behind-the-scenes thing where the baby's trying to take- No, the babysitter's trying to take care of Jack-Jack, and he keeps on, like, apparating around, and he's, like, catching fire and stuff. Yes. That's what I'm imagining. <laughs> but two of them. Yes. <laughs> the Incredibles Jack-Jack attack is the energy that I want in this scene. <laughs> So Dudley's there with Grandmother Petunia, Vernon's dead. Like, he's been dead for a long time. He's not, like, dead on the ground. <laughs> Insta-kill. And Harry arrives on the scene. 
and he does some cool magic and settles everything down and Dudley and Petunia are both like panicked or maybe Petunia's panicked and Dudley's just like in shock (laughs) and Harry ends up getting the story from Poppy in my version Poppy is Daisy's older sister she's like several years older like mid to late teens okay and Daisy's 10 and so is Lily so Lily and Daisy got in a big fight and then magic happened. Mm-hmm. And Harry's like, oh, Dudley, I'm so sorry. Like, I know you aren't comfortable with magic still. And I ask you to do me this favor and suddenly, oh, God, like, Lily should have better control than this. And Dudley finally, like, snaps out of his shock state. And he's like, it wasn't Lily, it was Daisy. And Harry's like, well, shit. Wow, wow. <laughs> <laughs> this is basically what I have. These are the two threads that I want to follow in the story. So there's the macro story which is about the magical world trying to rebalance with adult Harry Potter officially stepping down from the role of savior of the wizarding world. Mm -hmm. And then there's the more personal tale, which is the tale of two fathers about Harry and Lily trying to help Dudley and Daisy deal with the fact that she's a witch. Yeah. So I don't really have much more than that. (laughs) In the macro story, like maybe there's some new magical threat, like some new Dark Lord on the rise, and everyone wants Harry to deal with it. But Harry's like, it's it's just not my problem. Mm -hmm. Voldemort was about me, and I had to deal with him. Yeah. But now, like, it's been 20 years. I want to focus on my family and my kids. Like, I can't be your savior forever. Mm -hmm. At some point, you guys need to start solving your own problems. So, like, maybe Harry has to choose a new lead author and Hermione is campaigning for Minister of Magic and, like, that's what that story is about. Mm-hmm. And then the other story is, like, Lily and Daisy become best friends. Poppy is jealous of Daisy. Petunia helps her through it, same as in your story. Yeah. And Dudley has to learn to accept magic and figure out how to be a good father of a witch. And Lily and Daisy are trying to prepare for their first year at Hogwarts, but I don't want them to actually get to Hogwarts because I want to try and stay away from Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. And uh, the play ends with Harry deciding to be the new Defense Against the Dark Arts professor. Nice. And that's it. That's all I've got. Nice. Yeah. I love it. Very funny. Which is <laughs> <laughs> great. <laughs> no, yeah. That is a, mu- a much more succinct story than my <laughs> grandiose four-tantus at once <laughs> pitch. But I really, I, I love how, like, it's just... <laughs> I like its simplicity. It's very honest to the characters. It's a logical progression of how I could see the series ending. And I love the new elements of Daisy Dursley having magic. And yeah, it's great. I love it. I would like to see it. I feel like yours would probably need to be told over two nights, whereas mine, you could get it done with one ticket. Mm. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't want mine done over two nights. I just want it done with a intermission (laughs) but i just think mine needs a lot more work to get it into a succinct story (laughs) but it's possible (laughs) yeah yeah so those are our pictures (laughs) i don't think we have anything more to add no yeah i mean i just i had a lot of fun if anyone would like to message me and tell me thanks i hate it or tell me (laughs) i love this and you should include this part or it should be like this or maybe if you change this then that's great. I'd love to hear it. And if you have your own ideas, let for me know. I, I'm what sure it would be a good story to tell with Cursed Child. Yes. Maybe something like not even about Harry Potter, like a different story in the wizarding world. Oh, yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. I'd love to hear it. <laughs> so, yeah. I have been Gem and I love Daisy Dursley, muscly intellectual. <laughs> <laughs> I have been Rhea and I'm ready for Harry to just be like, fuck all of you and leave. Thanks for listening to Podcast 9 and 3 Quarters. This show is written and edited by Rhea and Jem. You can send us an email at 9 and 3 quarters podcast at gmail.com. 
Find us on Tumblr, Facebook and Instagram at Podcast 9 and 3 quarters or talk to us separately on Twitter. Rhea is at SmashMouthRhea and Jem is at Jem underscore just Jem. So listeners, we have a confession to make. When we recorded this episode, Jem and I were working under the assumption that Daisy and Poppy Dursley were our original characters, but after a cursory Tumblr search, I realised that Daisy at least is a very popular fanon. So our ideas are a little less original than we thought. As far as I've been able to trace, we took the idea of Daisy and Poppy from a Tumblr post by user Graceless Choice, which I will link in the description. Uh, It was years ago, so we can't really be sure, but some of the ideas in that post line up a little too closely with our ideas for the Dursley girls, so credit where credit's due, and shout out to Graceless Choice and everyone else who has their own cool take on Daisy Dursley. Please feel free to send theories or ask questions and bombard us with so many messages that we go mad and run away to a hut on a rock in the sea just to avoid them. Our logo art is by Winged Corgi. Find more of her art at wingedcorgi.tumblr.com. This week's intro music was Platform 9 and 3 quarters by Imogen Heap from the Cursed Child soundtrack. And our outro music was Hedwig's Theme by John Williams. You'll hear from us again in two weeks' time. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.